You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of Us needs and appreciates all your support. This Digital Noise episode also is a video version for subscribers at the brown coat level or above. Become a subscriber and get the extended video version. Digital noise time. It's digital noise time. Digital We're noise. here to do digital, digital noise, noise with you. Ha, ha, digital noise. <sighs> we were laughing before we got started. Like Aaron, whenever the camera goes on, he totally changes into like a late night, like hey, just play Marvin Gaye songs radio DJ. He's like, hey, this is Aaron Papa Bear Whittle in the midnight hour coming to you live. Welcome to. I got a little songs for you lovers out there. Welcome to the One of Us radio show, introducing the sexiest little numbers that you'll ever see in a home release show. That seems unlikely. <laughs> Actually, this set is is not very sexy. That does not fit. Maybe last week's episode. There was some sexy in there. There is not sexy in this episode. Our, our set is about as dorky as you get this week, <laughs> which is like a strong contrast to our very arty, indie, foreign yeah, set. It was very we drama heavy last week. Very much like this is what a normal person or a cinephile would watch. This week is nothing but geek stuff, and I couldn't be happier. Well, I mean, there's one thing that's not geek stuff, but, you know, it's still pop, eh, if you will. Eh. I'll, I'd argue it's geekery, if only because it's based on a real life event. And so there's some little geekery there, but eh, we'll get to there when we get there. <laughs> so I do want to point out right off the bat that this is available in a video version for you subscribers out there at the brown coat level or above. That's $5 a month. And you can see the video version. We actually show you the images of the boxes of the movies that we're talking about. So you can be clear what we're talking about and stuff like that. Thanks to our editor, Mike McAllister, who throws all that stuff in there for us. After the fact, you get to see our beautiful smiling faces, the, the, uh, the Papa bear behind the, the sultry voice. <laughs> yeah, you can get to see me make kissy faces and other inappropriate gestures at the camera occasionally. He does. I'm calling HR, like, right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, I am HR. Shit. Okay. Got more like HR yeah, puffing do stuff. something about it. I dare you. <laughs> so, this is not for someone who is an advertiser. This is just, there's a guy who is one of the providers of Blu-rays that I've been dealing with for years and years. And over time, we've kind of gotten to be friends. And he actually has gotten to the point where he's a fan of the show, which is awesome, man. He's like, when we start doing video, he's like, can you send me the video? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Kind of sheepishly. It's like, okay, sure. But uh, he is just a good guy. And he sometimes sends me stuff that, you know, a little cool side stuff. And I found out just recently he had his own side company. Uh, this is at Agronautics. Right? Ooh, good name. 
once again, not a, this is not a paid thing. I got no money or bonuses or anything from him. I just really, I had never heard of this. And I was like, whoa, what is this stuff? So I went and checked this out. And uh, it's pretty cool. It's like weird Funko Pop type stuff. Ooh. But uh, like with all punk and rock and roll stuff. I mean, there's all sorts of like Murphy's Law, Descendants. I love it. The Milo goes to college throbblehead. <laughs> I'm actually kind of freaking out about the fact that there's a band called Pennywise and I didn't know it. I really want this one, the Gibby Haynes limited edition Throbblehead, which is uh, the, the lead singer of the Butthole Surfers. He's got his, his megaphone and everything. But yeah, I'm really excited about some of the stuff on here. It's pretty damn cool. And I highly recommend going check it out, especially with Christmas coming up just around the corner. You know that uh, you're going to have friends who or uh, maybe into this sort of stuff at all, maybe into the little more alternative stuff. And this would be a cool little gift that maybe they don't even know anything. I didn't, I'm into this stuff and I didn't even know this existed. And I was like, wow, I want like everything on here. So just throwing that out there. Cheers to you, brother. There you go. Let's talk about some movies. Let's do that. All right. Not just movies, but TV shows. Okay. I'm just going to, we're just going to start with something you didn't get to see. I know. It's like, let's go right into the one that I can't really talk about at all. Yeah. We're talking about The Flash, the complete sixth season. Look, I know. I know what I said. I just don't have time to watch all the ECW shows anymore. There's too many. And I don't. I really don't. This is the first year that when the Blu-rays came out, I hadn't actually watched them. So I found Chris. myself in the unenviable position of like this long season of television. You know, I mean, 19 episodes, 1945 over and some change minute episodes that I had to watch like marathon through, which is like not always no, fun. It, I'm, I'm really excited to hear where you land on this, though, because I'm not going to lie. As much as I very publicly went, I'm done with the CW superhero shows. I've been like, maybe I ought to start watching them again. You know, like they're indie and I can just kind of slowly work my way through them. Maybe there's always, you know, the flash has gone through so many cast changes over the years as actors come and go. And as just recently, like uh, the guy who plays the elongated man, apparently they dug up that he had and I, look, generally, if you posted something years and years and years and years ago, that is like borderline offensive or edgy trying to be funny i mean come on it kind of depends on the time when it happened and the degree to which it was borderline offensive edgy oh right? i didn't like realize this... that his thing was a long time ago i thought he had done something recently that it it was like two years before he got cast on the show basically right so i was like well that's not very long ago first right like well past the point where anyone should know better and two his stuff was actively offensive. Like he was still just trying to be funny. Like, I don't think he is a guy who believes the things that he was joking it was about, still but, inappropriate. but it was like way inappropriate. It wasn't like the stuff with uh, the director of guardians of the galaxy. What's his James Gunn. Yeah. Where James Gunn stuff was like, look, you're trying to be edgy, but none of this is wildly offensive. It's very obvious that you're being facetious with these tweets. And it's not so obvious with this other guy. Point being, he's getting kicked off the show, although they made an announcement like, well, to wrap up his storyline, he'll be back for a two episode arc next season. <laughs> but after that, they're going to pull up. Uh, well, his, he can change into other forms. So we'll just say, oh. oh, now he looks like this guy, which is, you know, but the, this season... I mean, the show is so hit and miss. It started so strong, but eventually it's just kind of like, all right, it's another season of The Flash. <sighs> yeah, man. I maintain The Flash had one of the strongest 
first two season arcs I've seen Mm -hmm. where like I was totally into it and I would even be okay almost just viewing those as standalones. But it seemed that relatively quickly they kind of started running out of ideas and they started just going a lot more goofy and outlandish without ever really tying it all together in a way that made sense. Yeah, that tends to be the case. And it just kind of jumps from one thing to the other. Certainly the first half of the season is largely about the buildup to uh, the crisis on Infinite Earths, which was the big crossover this year that was the biggest one they've done yet. And certainly a lot of people, including me, without watching all the separate shows, was watching that week to week to see you know, okay, so this is based on a major series, and there are all these guest stars, like huge guest stars on it. And I was like, oh, I kind of got to see how that plays out. And to be honest, it was just okay. It was, uh, I kept going, well, that was weird that you got that awesome actor to do this, <laughs> and you're just going to do like two minutes and then leave it at that. I kind of think that that was not the, like, they get Kevin Conroy to play alternate Earth Batman, and he's like in one scene, well, and you're like, no, he should have been there the whole time. That's how they got Kevin Conroy to play alternate Earth Batman. <laughs> the same with Tom Welling coming back as Superman. It's because they, they only got to show it for a day. Makes Dude, it easy. Those, neither one of those actors, like, are excessively working. Yeah. Uh, right now i'm just saying i'm sure they would have said yes to a longer <laughs> run on the show. it's like you, you sure you don't want me to be here for like a week it's cool i, I got nothing to do right now i'm good but you know i mean it's a lot there's a lot of little mini stories you get to see uh a lot of wrap-ups of previous stories that have ended like cisco finds out like his girlfriend from earth whatever is has been murdered and so uh danny trejo shows up to like, oh, you know, I didn't, didn't really trust you before, but uh, I learned to like you, and now I know you liked her, and, and uh, she's been killed, so I kind of need your help. And then it looks like Cisco did it, and so you've got Danny Trejo trying to kill him again. And I don't know, man. And it ends on a, another, like, oh, we weren't done yet, so we just kind of wrapped it up because of COVID. I don't know. Right. I, I'm very mixed about this season. It's not terrible. There's nothing in here I went, yuck. I, I, but I'm going to bring back my theory, and I think DC slash CW really needs to adopt this, where all of their shows only last three seasons, and then they stop it, and the character still exists, and they can show back up in random cameo appearances and future ones, but then they're like, no, we're done. We're going to go do Blue Beetle now, or we're going to go... No, you know what they you know, do. They they basically, that's how they cast Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, oh, they're not on that show anymore? Welcome to Legends of Tomorrow for two seasons. That's not wrong. <laughs> It's not. That seems like that should just be the, your retirement plan for these these characters. <laughs> but this is on Blu-ray now. There's uh, deleted scenes from nine episodes, about 15 minutes. There's a gag reel like there always is, about seven minutes long. Uh, there's one of the episodes, Kiss Kiss Breach Breach, is presented as a noir episode, which means they just did a black and white just, version. Is that just a ripoff of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Which it, it has to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a tribute. I mean, I don't know if I, I mean, it's obviously referencing it, so I, I would say a tribute. Does somebody say this is just a tribute halfway through the episode? No, there's never been a Tenacious D reference that I can recall on the CW, and there really should, should be. be. Man, they brought in Tenacious D as Tenacious D from an alternate Earth, and they were like Superman level powered with their rock. 
That would be amazing. For a second, I thought you said they actually did that. I was like, holy shit, no. I'm in. I'm going to watch all of it just for that. Dude, CW, you want to up your ratings? You need like a three-episode arc where Tenacious D is like, comes in as like the Dios Ex Machina from an alternate Earth, but they're not playing other superheroes or known. They're playing Tenacious D, but they have actually, they remembered the greatest song in the world and it gave them ultimate power. There you power. go. There you yeah. go. Chris already wrote it for you. Like, honestly, I'll probably watch a lot of these shows, this one included, whenever the contracts expire and they end up on HBO Max, which they inevitably will. But until then, that I'm glad you, you took this bullet for me. Uh, I will say as well, when, one thing I really like about having this, though, because I did like Crisis on Infinite Earths. I don't think it's the strongest of the crossovers, but it's the only thing on here I will go back and rewatch. And the bonus disc is just all the Crisis on Infinite Earths episodes together, along with... Uh, the behind the scene featurettes. Now you can also, they also do that in the arrow season eight Blu-ray and on the Batwoman season one, but I don't want either one of those. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So there you go. All right. I guess it, to be fair, we should probably switch to something that Aaron has actually seen, which is everything else on the show. And yes, more comic stuff. This time we're talking about the uh, director video animated superhero film based on the CW seed. I didn't realize that this was a series for a seed series, death stroke Knights and dragons, which is produced by Warner brothers animation. It is uh, now available on Blu-ray and uh, yeah, you know, who Deathstroke is, he shows up in any given DC thing. They're determined. The Deathstroke and, is going to be big and, and with the live action stuff. Honestly, I usually like Deathstroke when he shows up in something. Okay. Um, but oh my god not in this this is one of the rare few movies that wasn't just like it didn't just have problems this movie aggressively made me angry and like by the time we got to the end of this story i was hate texting chris like are you fucking kidding me this is what they're doing right now this is just <laughs> So, yeah. so like when Chris handed me this movie, he, he goes, okay, look, fair warning. Like they're doing this thing with Deathstroke where they're kind of turning him into a hero and, and they're doing this amnesia thing. And eh, he kind of hand waved it away. And I was like, okay, cool. I, I don't care about Deathstroke. So I'm okay with that. Uh, and so basically the movie takes place after Deathstroke has kind of learned that he has a kid and is trying to be a better dad, kind of. And he's trying, he's, he's working on himself. He's working on himself. And so. As you do when you're a trained. A trained killer. Uh, drug fueled, <laughs> yeah. near immortal killer. And so he, he's <laughs> kind of this anti-hero-esque character. Um, trying to right the wrongs of his past, which is, okay, cool. We've all seen that setup. Uh, and it's not long until one of the villains in the movie goes after his estranged son and family and basically takes his son going like, if you don't do this, we're going to kill you. Uh, and forcing Deathstroke to come in, who of course tosses a wrench into all the villains plans immediately like Deathstroke does. Um, but, but forces him to come in to kind of work with the bad guys. And that's where we get into the plot, which involves Deathstroke's son, with another maybe unknown family member of Deathstroke, as well as a really cool, I always like when they show up, a uh, Serpent King, who's like this B-list villain who always just is like randomly showing up in the DC universe now, and it's always fun to see him. And like, you'd expect this movie to be good. 
it's very much going with the R-rated Suicide Squad-esque stuff where it's as bloody as they humanly can make it. Uh, these tend to be dark and kind of gothic and mostly entertaining, if a little bit grimcore or grimdark. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my problem with this movie. The problem with this movie is that every narrative technique they're using for the first two thirds of this movie is to set up this gothic horror-esque um, Shakespearean drama with family members going up against family members and people having to make dark choices that are interesting and Deathstroke mm. ultimately having to go up against his slight spoiler children. And then at the beginning of the third act, they go, never mind, we really aren't setting any of that up. And instead, what we're going to do is we're going to use a traditional superhero plot that we could have put in any Batman cartoon or any Superman animation or pick your goddamn superhero. And Deathstroke becomes a generic superhero who can just kill people really well. It pissed me off so much when that happened because everything they were setting up was cool i was with it i loved the idea of putting this person who's trying to be good through the ringer of what happens when your personal emotional commitments and what's important to you conflict with your desire to be a good person going forward. Like that's cool. What they did is lazy, pathetic, and it should never have existed. I hated this movie. I did too. And you're right. This is just so, I mean, come on guys, you'll have to be listening and hear that people are like, don't be just grimdark for the sake of being grimdark. That's ridiculous and sad. And this is ridiculous and sad in that way. It's look how edgy we are. Yeah. Like, look, I don't mind something that's super gory and gets dark, but it, it has I to mean, be yeah, important like, to the narrative. It has to be a part of the story or it's just, it's just them jerking off into the camera with blood, you know, which, ew, God, I'm so sorry immediately for the image that that got. <laughs> Honestly, for animation, I tend to feel that way more strongly than I do with live action, because at least there's an artfulness to being able to do live action blood and gore that I can admire in and of itself. With here, it's just another draw. Yeah. No offense against artists, but I don't think it's harder to draw blood and gore than it is not to draw blood and gore. Where it's significantly harder to do it in live action and is its own yeah, art form. It, it doesn't have fun. The story makes no sense. Skip it. Uh, yeah. And I hate to say it because I love Michael Chiklis and he voices Deathstroke. I will say, look, man, Deathstroke is is good when he's used inside of a plot with other better characters like the Teen Titans. Yeah, Deathstroke belongs as a villain in the Teen Titans. Well, no question. I even liked him on his appearance on Arrow, what they did with him on there. He's got a cool outfit, but ultimately, he's Deadpool without the jokes. Yeah. And who wants that? He works great as someone who's scary, who can authentically hurt the heroes. And, and, and like, mm -hmm. even if you want to make him into a main character, I think that can work. But it He's not a superhero. Even if he is going to be a good guy, he's not a superhero. He's someone I mean, different. There's a problem with, unless it's a God-level villain, which is very hard to turn into a good guy or a, a middle-ground guy. Like, you don't get a lot of... Uh, there, there have been playing around with making Thanos not an out-and-out -out villain, but ultimately he's an out-and-out -out villain. With characters on the level of, like, Deathstroke, 
man, these comic companies just can't leave well enough alone. They get popular enough. They're like, oh, we got to find a way to make them not into a straight villain. You know, ever since we managed somehow to do it with the I was Punisher. about to say he wants to be Punisher. That's what it is. Yeah, they I mean, want another Punisher. Ever since the Punisher, everybody wants to do that with every villain. Venom, everyone. They're all like, no, they're good guys now. You're like, stop it. There's, you created a good memorable bad guy. Why do you want to take that away? I don't wonder. There's too few of them as it is. You can, I mean, you can have a nuanced villain who thinks he's right, who is not a good guy. Like, like you yeah. don't have to go that extra step. But anyways, anyways. Yeah. So this comes with one extra death stroke, one man death machine for about 14 minutes with the future, the brief history of the character, how it was designed, moving it into the the full-length animated production here, how he's been portrayed in other media that has Marv Wolfman, George Perez, Michael Chiklis, Manu Bennett, who played Deathstroke on Arrow, and what have you, which, I mean, I guess if you were totally new to the character, sure, but why would you even get this and watch this if you were totally new to the character? I, I know there's people out there who totally love Deathstroke. I don't want to take that away from you if you found value in the character, but for me, outside of his appearances and other things, I just never have, and this didn't do anything well, to change my mind. I'll be honest, the character is not the problem with this movie, so, yeah. Mm. To me, at least. That's, yeah. No, that's true. Now, I will say that as much as we've been having problems lately with a lot of these DC Warner Brothers animation films that have been coming out, the last couple have been mediocre to bad. And I felt just starting to turn that around a bit was our next one, which is Superman Man of Tomorrow. The 39th in the DC Universe animated original films, now on Blu-ray and 4K, which, of course, animation always looks fantastic, the better quality that you get. I always say, if you can get the top quality for an animated thing like this, then get it, because it's going, you will notice the difference. And they kind of ended the primary animated un DC Universe with one of their recent ones. Do you remember the name of it? Oh, you mean Justice League Dark Apocalypse yeah. War? <sighs> yeah, it was kind of the... This is the end of the DC animated universe as we've created up to this point. Now we're starting over. And this is kind of that starting over point. At least I assume it is. I mean, it's a new Superman story starting out with him at a younger age. He's an intern at the Daily Planet. He is just meeting Lois Lane. Uh, Lex Luthor is just hasn't been revealed as a villain. It starts with Lois Lane being the one who sort of reveals yeah. that, oh, shit, Luthor is a piece of shit. And is, is, he's trying to put out tech that's oh, bad as Luthor does. It's Superman year one. Because, like, Lois yeah. Lane is an intern who becomes a reporter. Superman doesn't really know he's Superman fully yet. He uh, doesn't even have the it, name it, yet. It's basically... It's like taking Batman Begins, but making it true to the spirit of Superman. I, I, I kind of fell hard for this movie. I have one real, honest to God, big issue with it. That's a character design that accidentally affects the narrative. But like, this gave me what I didn't realize I needed from a Superman picture. Because like, like well, I, I, I like Man of Steel for the most part, even though I acknowledge its problems. And yeah. The this is the first time since Superman Returns where Superman has felt like a beacon of hope and and yes. like he's actually gone. My my sole focus is saving people. I'm gonna stop this thing too, but I want to make sure the people get saved. It's bright. The, it's colorful. Metropolis. That's the subtext. It, that's the subtext of this. Yeah. The whole thing is him realizing that it he is a man of the people. He may not be from Earth, but 
as far as he's concerned, that doesn't matter. He is an earthling. Yeah, he's human. He is one of these people, and he believes in always doing the right thing and saving people no matter what. And they achieve this by bringing in Lobo, who is this crazy outer space, space motorcycle riding, uh, the, the, what do you, like hitman, basically, sure. who comes to he's Earth, who initially is... Yeah, initially it's somebody they fight and they end up having a team up with them because there ends up being a bigger problem, which is, I, I don't know, honestly, I assume this character Parasite is in the comics, which is a guy, a guy who like gets infected, a good man who gets infected by sort of a side effect of one of Lobo's weapons that even Lobo doesn't know is a thing that would happen. And it turns him into a giant kaiju, basically. So, so <laughs> I think Parasite's at least made an appearance in the comics by now. I do not know if he was a Bruce Tim animated universe original or if he existed in the comics before that. But like my main association with Parasite is him showing up in that original The Animated Adventures of Superman. And actually... Mm-hmm. He, Parasite's kind of my main issue with this movie. Like, I, I, yeah. I, I love so much about the design element, the way Metropolis feels like this futuristic city of tomorrow. It, like, I, I legit teared up a bit in this movie just because there was so much hope and good God, did I need that. Um, but Parasite, like, so the idea is, is this, this good person who becomes a, fused at a genetic level with this compound that basically makes him absorb things he's the absorbing man so if he touches Mm -hmm. something he can siphon the energy off of it and how that plays out in the character has been interpreted a few different ways and this one he slowly becomes more and more reptilian and he ultimately becomes kind of a kaiju which okay i'll admit no straight up a kaiju if you if you remove the issues I had with it, the idea of this becoming a Superman versus Kaiju fight made me very happy. But yeah, but no, my problem is I that agree. because he's this reptilian thing, it, it feels more like he's becoming this alien monster. And, and with the way they set up the character, I think it would have been a lot more interesting and it would have made a lot more sense if it was more Akira esque bio organic and, bits of metal and flesh working together. And so like, like that character design element always felt wrong throughout the entire movie, even though everything else around it, I enjoyed, but that never went okay. away for me. I had problems with initially. I like what they were doing with the idea of him. His humanity is still buried in there and that's affecting the choices he made and is indeed a weak spot in some ways and a sympathy. It, it's He's a good villain in the sense that Superman always looks for the humanity inside all of his villains yeah. to appeal to. And so that works in the context of this particular story. Well, I think in terms of design, he's not all that great or interesting of a villain. Uh, he, he, it's weird to take such a sort of tabula rasa of a villain as sort of this as the first guy in this starter superman set here but i think ultimately it works a lot more than it doesn't and one thing i love about this is the change in animation style to a cell shaded animation style and it just it's where the borders are sort of black around every character and thing in it and it just really makes everything pop in a way that looks like none of the other animated films that I quite enjoy. Yeah, I dig the art style too. And, and the last thing I wanted to say that was a really big positive for this movie is they retool a lot of Superman's origin. Not not the core, he's a baby who came to Earth, but just the way he gets introduced. And they tied the Martian Manhunter to that, which mm-hmm. I, I was... 
I didn't expect it to work. And it ends up being one of the stronger elements of it as the Martian Manhunter is basically who Superman was in the movie almost. He's like afraid and jaded and no humanity is going to react badly. And Superman's having to spend the whole movie go like, no, like we have to show them that hope. Uh, yeah. It was a great, he was a great foil for Superman in this. Agreed. And I love that it even ends on a sort of, not a cliffhanger, but a sort of like, there are more of us yeah. out there like way with both Kryptonians and Martians. And I was like, that's a nice way to make you interested to see what happens next in this. How about, let me say this. Uh, I remember the first justice league, new 52 movie. It was the very first one. And it was heavy on the action, heavy on the dark and not really heavy on the story. And I remember us all going like, I guess it was fun, but that's it. Watching this, like I'm legitimately excited for what they're doing next in this vein is if they maintain it instead of just doing a bunch of standalone unconnected stuff. Like I want more of this. I hope this is because they were listening to a lot of the fans like us. I want when they do a Batman one in the reboot that you're like, he doesn't have all the super gadgets that make him like, like, like giant bat armor and shit. No, he's a detective who hunts killers. I want to see that Batman. I want to see more of that sort of seventies Batman. Uh, but we'll see. We're, that's a movie that hasn't even been made yet, so I don't know what to say. Uh, I'm not going to criticize a film before it's even come It may come not out. even be pitched, but come on. It's DC. They're yeah. making another Batman cartoon right There's now. There's no question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is a two-disc release. Uh, it comes with a matching slipcover and a digital copy, of course. Bonus features Lobo, Natural Force of Chaos for ten and a half minutes, which is where, they, of course, they take a look at the, the origins of Lobo in the comics, how he was reinvented in the 90s, how he got super popular, different versions of him. There's the same type thing with Martian Manhunter for about nine minutes. There's a sneak peek at at the next animated film. They didn't weirdly. I saw one list here says uh, so fresh. They didn't even name it on the menu, (laughs) but it's Batman soul of the dragon, a seventies adventure with Richard dragon, Ben Turner, Lady Shiva and O Sensei. I'm like, Oh yes, please. Basically exactly (laughs) what we want. (laughs) So yeah, Yeah. cool. I, as long as you manage to do it without being offensive, which is often not a lot to ask, but as long as you can manage to do that, then yes, please make that movie, bring it to me, put it in my hot, sweaty little geeky. And then make a blue beetle movie. Please guys, please give me a blue beetle Beetle or booster gold, someone different and booster gold. Come on. They're the team, right? You put those two guys together. I have no, we've been calling for that for fucking ever. And nothing. But that's because, you know, all the DC upper echelon staff is just hanging on our every word, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're going to move on. And our next one, we're going back to an old classic from 1988 that has been upgraded to 4K. And I'd say a long overdue upgrade because the last upgrade of Beetlejuice, the Blu-ray, was okay. It was a decent upgrade. It was a nice set they put together. But it had like a, a hologram cover and all that. Uh, but it, it was okay. like, I didn't feel like they did as much work on the actual film itself as they should. Yeah, have. the transfer well, was okay. It was okay. This is a very much nicer one. It fucking pops. And a movie this colorful and so many layers from dark blacks to really bright colors needs to pop and wow they did a really fantastic job on it it looks glorious this is one of the ones i was like as soon as we got it we popped it in like oh man my wife's like i haven't seen this 
God, forever. I'm like, good. Then we're watching. Well, this was like, this was, I've seen it like 20 times. I want to say this was this and the original Tim Burton Batman were the two movies that kind of defined the Tim Burton style for a lot of people. Because this was like, no, he's making wacky shit. It's a shot across the bow. Like this is around the same time that he was doing Edward Scissorhands. It was his like creative high point as far as the critics are concerned. So like yes. it's good that it's finally getting a transfer worthy of the visuals of the movie. Yeah, no, and, and I'm this is the ultimate copy of it basically at this point. Except there's some extra features on the Blu-ray version that you're just you're not getting here. So I'm like in one of those positions where I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to keep two copies of this on my shelf now. <sighs> Uh, no, but it does have the 20th anniversary edition Blu-ray shoved in here, um, which, you know, I mean, it's got a, a few extra things. It's not, it's honestly, it's not essential. I don't know what I'm talking about. This, uh, there's, there's just a tiny bit of extra though. There's the, there's a few of the episodes from the cartoon show, which was better than it had any right to be. I'll just well, say it, it, it always gets weird when you get into these kind of more archival releases because it's like yay this is the best transfer that's ever had this is the best it's ever going to look but then here this other set that came out five years ago or ten years ago has all this content that that just it doesn't the new one doesn't have it's a question of as a fan is the visual upgrade worth it but but at the same time those people who it's worth it for they're going to be the ones who want those special features that documentary or the pick your various contents and so like if, if you need a new copy if you're one of the people who really want it to look good yeah yeah i mean if you have a 4k tv this is a good showpiece film for it uh the audio is also an excellent uh choice here with multiple options available as in different languages 14 different languages of subtitles i mean this is uh i mean they really tried to make this like the ultimate version here and and uh that's that's pretty fucking cool i i'm always shocked how old this movie makes me feel though and it's entirely alec baldwin because because he's so young he's so young (laughs) (laughs) i'm like holy shit look he's just a baby he has long hair and no wrinkles and he's like maybe 30 just uh yeah <laughs> uh yeah this is still fun if you've never seen beetlejuice what what's keeping you man this is it's and i'm classic. the guy who always talks shit about tim burton this movie is unassailable and it has one of the best soundtracks i think of any movie like ever the, the danny elfman soundtrack oh, to this God. is wonderful one of the options is there's a soundtrack only track you can play on here it's so good i could literally sing the soundtrack from the first note all the way to the end without even watching the movie yeah i've listened to it so many goddamn times uh so bringing me back here you're going to a little little side story so i worked on a haunted house the last haunted house i, I ever worked in was richard garriott who created the origin games uh, the ultimate games and owned origin systems among other things was throwing as he did every other year this huge super ridiculously expensive like millions of dollars expensive haunted house in his own house which was a mansion with a cat like castle like mansion with like a moat and secret doors and all sorts of shit in it and i was i had gotten here relatively recently and i was super excited to be a part of this my roommates were like oh dude we're doing this you should come with me it's volunteer but you know they feed you and everything and it's cool and it was it was like one of the greatest times of my whole life but one thing i learned 
about a certain type of dork is they don't know about any music except soundtracks to movies and television shows. They just don't. They don't listen to any music except for soundtracks to movies and television shows. They couldn't tell you about any of it other than maybe what their dad listened to. They just don't know because the whole time I was there, nobody, not even once, put anything on a stereo in any part of this huge sprawling estate that wasn't the soundtrack to a movie or a television show. And the, one of the ones that got played incessantly was this one. <laughs> and at least that was okay. And weirdly, Conan the Barbarian. Dude, that got Conan played the Barbarian too. gets played a lot by that type of geek. And, and I've known yeah. them throughout my life as well. It's always Superman, Star Trek Two, Conan, Indiana Jones, and pick your Danny Elfman piece. I've actually found it's usually uh, Batman Returns that I hear a lot of, but you know, bum- Bumble Juice, <laughs> Beetlejuice is up there too. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, so we're going to go on to our next movie, which is a new release, not a re-release called The Outpost. This actually just came out in theaters right at the beginning of the COVID epidemic, really, and which means it disappeared almost immediately. Uh, th- they had put it up for VOD and it actually performed really well on VOD. And I was surprised because this looked like one of those crappy red box, yeah. like, I mean, Orlando Bloom is like the big star on the cover and he's in it for all 20 minutes before he's not in it anymore. It's a war movie, military soldiers doing military things based on a true story. I mean, there's a billion of these, right? So I didn't expect this to be much. I mean, it's got Scott Eastwood as one of its lead actors. As like the main, yeah. You know, know, look, mad credit to your dad for as many great movies as he was in and created. You're not great. (laughs) You're not your dad. uh, And not a good actor. Sorry. But... The Outpost ended up being surprisingly entertaining. I mean, even its director, Rod Lurie, doesn't have the world's best list of films he's worked on. I mean, he directed the remake of Straw Dogs, which was not great. Uh, uh, Nothing But the Truth in 2008. Uh, Resurrecting the Champ in 2007. The Last Castle in 2001. The Contender in 2000. I mean, they're all... They're okay. Films. And honestly, I'm not going to rave about The Outpost. It's... It's better than okay, but I'm not going to go back and rewatch this thing. It is based on a true story, which multiple films have been made about, the Battle of Kamdesh in the war in Afghanistan. The story is of the 53 U.S. soldiers and a few Latvian military advisors who were there who were in this awful place to be stationed in. It was just like literally the valley between mountains all around it, which is just insane. It's like like one of the least defensible positions you can think of. In fact, like when they first show the place, uh, they do a great thing, which is the camera walks out of the building looking at someone's the back of their head and just spins around them and you're just seeing, oh, it's mountaintop and everyone in every direction can shoot us at all times. We have no cover. And that's just it. Everyone is perpetually, they're joking and laughing and doing, you know, things you see in every military film like this that take place when everybody's back at station. But there's a level of nervousness going through everyone and people bring it up like this is, we've got to get out of here. I can't wait for my time to be up because this place is like a explosive barrel waiting to be set off for sure. And sooner or later, of course, it's going to be before this movie is over with the Taliban eventually moving in. I mean, they're put there to engage the locals with community development stuff. And the locals are not thrilled about them being there either. And they're not sure the locals aren't the Taliban. So 
the first half of this is kind of the, the soldiers interacting back and forth with the locals. There's a couple minor flare-up events, but nothing really huge, and a lot of soldiers sort of joking back and forth with each other. And the second half is about the attack when shit went down. And I gotta tell you, the first half was okay. I'm interested. It's better than I thought it was going to be. A lot of that had to do with some of the good actors other than Scott Eastwood and, like I said, Orlando Bloom, who wasn't here for very long, Caleb Landry-Jones, who usually plays villainous characters, but here is actually the most fascinating person of the, among the cast here. But the second, the first half's okay. The second half is shot so goddamn well in showing this impossible battle that these guys, some of them, somehow survived that it's really gripping. I was, it had spent just enough time with these characters to get to know who they were and things about them that when they start getting shot at and dying, I actually knew who they were and kind of gave a shit, you know? So I was into it. I was, at the end, I was like, I never would have thought in a million years this was going to be a movie I was going to dig, but I, I kind of yeah, dig it. I mostly agree with you. It, it, it's it's very much following that Black Hawk Down template where if you if you remove the actual core true event that they're telling, this movie doesn't have a story. Nothing really happens. It's just half, okay, these are the people who are going to be involved in this true event, and then here's the true event as it plays out. And, and that is like its own genre of film. That is not a knock. It's just something to be aware of. Um, my problem with this movie is I think that this was a... This was an okay movie that would have been great if it had a proper budget. Um, mm -hmm. Like the the moment to moment filmmaking, once it gets into the actual attack, which is basically four hundred um, Afghan soldiers uh, basically storming this place, and they're lobbing mortars in, they're shooting missiles, they're shooting grenades and bullets, and it's just a sustained attack as the American troops are just trying to survive the next hour or two um and and the the director does a good job of he'll do a lot of handheld steady cam he sticks with one character and will follow them through so there's lots of longer takes where we're very clear what's happening uh there's the drama of will they survive or not but I never really got a sense for the layout of the whole facility. And so there were a lot of times where they would be like, we got to go through here and make this turn and do this and lay out their plan. And I had no idea what the hell they were talking about. It was like, okay, I, I guess we'll see that next. And, and I feel like <laughs> this movie could have used, um, I basically more time and more aerial footage to kind of show us, okay, yeah, that guy's getting attacked over there and then we are here and we can see him getting attacked over there and we can see us here at the same time so we know what's going on. Like, like that's what separated it from what feels like a VOD movie, albeit a good VOD movie, and then what feels like a movie worthy of a major theatrical release. It's just that that money, unfortunately. But but for what it was, this was a well-shot movie with good moment-to-moment -moment action it, it, yeah. it does a good job of portraying the confusion of war. It's just that there's never really an, an action scene that feels like that feels like an authentic action scene to me. It's always, it's always just, here's some, a close up of somebody ducked behind something and then they're running and there's dust flying everywhere. It would have been nice to get a better sense of that action geography. And it would have made this a much better movie. As it was, though, like it, it was good. It was, I really enjoyed this. It was much better than I expected going in. 
Aaron's like Patton. He wants to be the big table where he's moving around the little you troops know, from room to room with his with his little slider stick. Dude, at, so <laughs> quality action geography is one of the things that it's easy to forget in filmmaking because it requires you to take a step back and think about how scene one plays with scene two, plays in scene three. And of action course. movies do a usually do a good job of scene one makes sense and is good and scene two makes sense and is good but when you look at the whole it just doesn't track like there have been a lot of relatively big budget or even triple a uh major hollywood international release films that just don't knack that and so Mm. it's something i look for when i watch an action film even if it's That's a totally fair. even if it's a historical or true event type of story, it's still a movie, and they should still yeah. create that experience. Well, I will say that I I certainly have never been in the military. I mean, can you imagine yeah. how they would have killed? I would have died, but <laughs> very quickly, probably, and by my own troops. Call me Sergeant. Call me Private Gomer <laughs> Pyle. But. Uh, <laughs> A lot of soldiers have raved about this film being one of the most realistic portrayals of just day-to-day life in the modern-day military. I'd buy that. These soldiers were really, really realistically portrayed. And even people who were here were saying, this is very close to what actually happened. So I think generally, if you are someone who's been in the military or interested in military films, this is going to have an added appeal because of that. And there are some bonus features here as well. There's Inside C.O.P. Keaton, Behind the Scenes, Behind the Lines, which is about 30-minute long extra feature with uh, Jake Tapper, who's the producer and the author of the book on which the film is based, along with the cast and crew and some of the other real service members who the film was based share how they feel about the film. There's an audio commentary with the director. There's a test footage for scene that didn't get into the film with Eastwood and Jones that uh but it's just the rehearsal of that scene they didn't actually film the scene there's a song rehearsal for everybody cries which is in the end credits so it's an acoustic performance <laughs> of the song uh and there's footage from the battle scene rehearsals yeah. but just for like a minute which is always interesting because that sort of thing it looks real on camera and then when you look at it where all the magic is gone it's like it just looks so weird you know, it, <laughs> there's one thing i wanted to call it about this movie too before we move on it's not a special feature and it's something the movie does that i've not really seen other war films do is that it shows the emotional impact of the events on the characters after the fact and actually spends the time there's a character who who basically starts out as a fuck up and over the course of the movie he finds his hero is the only way i can say it without spoiling anything and like it's such a small moment. It takes up maybe a minute, but Mm -hmm. it ended up being like watching what he dealt with after the fact was maybe my favorite minute of the whole movie. It was nice to see that instead of them just going like, look, our soldiers are warrior gods and they may be flawed, but no, this has no impact on them. It was nice (laughs) to be like, Oh yeah, no, they're all broken as humans after this. And they really need to figure out how to learn again or how to live again. Yeah, and the next, the sequel, The Outpost 2, is just a, <laughs> it's just a romantic comedy where a character is, like, bitter and broken by this experience, but he, 
he meets a, a young handicapped girl who teaches him how to live again yeah. until she dies of the she, disease that made her. She's not going to be a handicapped person. The person uh, uh, the movie is about is going to be the handicapped person, and the central figure that who he meets is going to be like his VA nurse who finally connects with him and, and makes him feel close, and he realizes all the trauma he went through. And yeah, but then she's got to have cancer or something. I, right? I was going to say he dies, and like because that just seems to way be the way it would go, and then it, it like pivots to be about her then and the impact he had on her life so the third movie the outpost <laughs> three is where like no see that's why he's got to live right because he gets like he's so tired of people dying he wants to stop people dying so he tries out this experimental treatment to restore his legs so he can walk again and it gives him superpowers and he, be and he becomes a vigilante he becomes the punisher and we circle back again <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap this up with our final movie of the week, and that is the 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray release of Pitch Black. And wow, is I've been waiting for this one for a long time because I am a total dork for Pitch Black. Okay, yes, there are two good movies in this series. Hey, hey, no, no. Right? The, there, there are the, the two good movies, and then there's one movie that you kind of go, you know what? I get what you were going for. <laughs> I really have a hard time sitting through the Chronicles of Riddick. Oh, it's, it's so, so cornball. It's Conan in space. I'm sorry. But the third the third one is great. I love Riddick. But Pitch Black is still the standout. It's a straight up, just bare bones, people on a planet, flying alien predators coming after them. They only come out at night. And then unfortunately, this planet's got a super fucking long night. That's it's cool. And your lead guy, you know, Vin Diesel, this was his big breakout film, obviously. Like, his whole look was just insanely cool, right? His story, like, oh, he's this unstoppable killer that's being transported for by the military, or in this case, not by the military, but by a, a, a uh, uh, why can I not think of the term? Not headhunter, but... Bounty uh, hunter? A bounty hunter. I couldn't remember it. Well, he, he was either. a marshal, is what they're called in the movie. Right. But he's a yeah, bounty, he's a bounty hunter. hunter. Right. Yeah. And... Riddick is like, they're like, oh, he's terrifying. He's a killer. He's, and he is, but you know, only if you're bad. Okay. <laughs> or generally if you're bad. Okay? I think the character work in this movie is great. Like Riddick yeah. is the homicidal psychopath, which he is, but he also cares about people and is not just totally heartless. And then like the captain who's supposed to be this badass commander character sacrifices the lives of hundreds like in the first two minutes and is basically trying to deal with her own cowardice uh like every character has another layer even the bounty hunter who spends like half the movie being this marshal this lawgiver-esque character is totally addicted to morphine which he injects into his fucking eyeball and yeah, and, and is like <laughs> totally corrupt and it, it, Every character has layers. It's a very yeah, simple movie all... with very good, deep characters. And I, I even remember yeah. Vin Diesel was the surprise main character because he really isn't played as the main until about halfway through the movie. Well, yeah, even because the, the movie, act. the movie tricks you into thinking that he's going to be a secondary threat. Yeah. Like, oh shit, we're trapped on this planet. Like maybe this movie's just about him getting out and starting to kill them. And then you get the monsters. You're like, shit 
but then you've still got Riddick to deal with. He's going to be a problem at some point, not realizing that this is sort of like that, hey, when the chips are down, this guy turns into a hero. He's a super cynical fuck them if they don't want to help themselves hero, but nonetheless, and his relationship with the little boy slash girl in the movie is really good and strong, so strong that they actually made an anime sort of sequel that takes place between this and Riddick, which the animation is super primitive, but is super worth watching and is indeed included on here. It's 35 minutes. It's called The Chronicles of Riddick Dark Fury. It is very enjoyable. It's definitely in tone in between Pitch Black and The Chronicles of Riddick. So, hey, Aaron, well, that'd be right up I, here. I've, alley. I've seen it. Uh, Riddick yeah. is one of the few things that has a surprising amount of ancillary materials and it's actually mm-hmm. all good. Like the comics are decent. Yeah. The video yeah. games are video games are great. Great. And and I remember yeah. this animation came out with a second video game because it was a setup for it. And like I, I watched it back then. Like like these are good. They're the, the way the director described it initially, which yes, this was mainly about Chronicles, but but deal with it. Uh, was that r- this is supposed to be Conan. It's Conan in space with Riddick as the Conan character. And like once you see this as this space opera a la Star Wars, but it's this darker, more bestial space opera. Like I, I, I love the Riddick series. It's great. You're right. I, I'm a fan of the character. I will glad I like all but one of the things with him. <laughs> I just, I like I said, it was just so fucking no, goofy. I, could I, I, not. I can't cross the line. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't really defend Chronicles of Riddick. I just enjoy it. it it's like yeah. uh, another movie that shall not be named, but has Fallen Kingdom in the title. Like, I know it's a terrible piece <laughs> of shit. It just works yeah. for me. Um, I can't and, and, and I really Sorry. want, I think they're making another Riddick movie, which is I'm happy about they, they're, they're all they constantly talking about making another Riddick movie because guess who owns the rights to the character now is is it actually um Vin, it's Diesel? Vin Diesel David yeah. Twoey so sold it I don't think Twoey technically ever owned oh, thought, it per se I, thought he... I mean he co-wrote and directed the movie but I mean I usually rarely in cases like that does the director I, own the I, film. I didn't think of it as, as him directing I legitimately thought he just I thought it was his baby and it was always his movies writer. Well, he did direct the third one. He teamed up again with, with it for Riddick, which once again was pretty damn good in my opinion. Uh, But universal, I think owned the rights to this, but for whatever reason, I I only assume diesel owns a portion of it or owns it outright. I'm not sure, but I have heard that he, one of the reasons he pimps it so hard is not just because he loves the character, but that he he gets a nice little slice. I'm okay with that. Give me more like cynical, fucked up, weird Riddick movies. Like the third one. And I'm here yeah. for it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and so this comes with all of the previously existing extras. And there's a lot because, like I said, Diesel loves this series. Every time they put out of one of the various versions of it, they, they've Here's always everything. put out a bunch. Of, yeah, they've always put out a bunch of new stuff for each new version that's come out. And this is it, all of it. And, and I think this is the first release that comes with Dark Fury attached and all the bonus features on Dark Fury as well. Uh, and there is one new set of things. There's a 24-minute Nightfall, The Making of Pitch Black, which is mainly an interview with the director and his perspective and memories on it, which is worth watching. And there's another thing called Black Box, which are just little 10-plus-minute interviews with 
some of the people who worked on the film, Peter Chiang, Ryana Griffith, Graham Ravel, David Egby, and Claudia Black. I used to have such a crush on, holy shit, back in the day. But yeah, this is, uh, it's it's from Arrow. It comes with a booklet. It's a, <coughs> the, they did not fuck around with putting together a super solid edition for people who love the shit out of Pitch Black, like me and like Aaron, to an even greater extent, because he can watch the sequel. But <laughs> that's it for our show this week. I want to know, Aaron, I can guess. What is our pick of the week? Oh, well. I'm pretty sure I know. So there's the title that made me happiest, which is Superman. But honestly, pick of the week, as far as like the quality of the set, everything it has, it's got to be pitch black. Like just, just, okay. just the, the release is so good. It is. You know? You're right. It's, as a whole package, it's like, wow, you get a lot for your money but, here. If you're a fan of this film, it's but, everything. But honestly, in 2020 with the notorious RGB having died recently and our nation continuing its free fall into a dumpster, uh, like Superman's what I like, just go watch that. Feel some joy at some point in your life. People. I mean, I hear you, but I feel like Riddick would be the one to handle this scenario. <laughs> yeah. He'd take care. I mean, if you had a choice here, Superman would be like, okay, come on. We got to listen to everybody. Let's, uh, let's, I don't want to do anything against the law. And Riddick would be like, Fuck that. Some motherfuckers are just begging for death. I don't know. Like, like that's kind of what I was digging about Superman a little bit. It, it felt like this nearer Superman. He wants everybody to talk, but he's also like, yeah, but you're kind of evil. So I'm just yeah, not going to listen to you. Yeah. That's what I want Superman to be. And that's what I want Riddick to be. Like Riddick is. I'm just saying in our world, if there's a choice between Superman oh, or Riddick, Riddick is the man valid, to get shit done. Well, just, just have Riddick appear. We don't need to get him there. Just be like, okay, take care of business and we're going to forget you exist. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for watching everybody or listening. And uh, we will be back very soon with more digital noise. Next episode is definitely with John. We were supposed to record it today and there was a screw up, but so we're recording it tomorrow. So that's coming out right on the heels of this one. And then, and then after that, you're going to get to hear me geek out hardcore because there are a lot of titles coming up in my very particular uh, niche love genre. So this is going to be fun. Uh, yeah you snuck a look at the sheet before you even got the movies. i did i was like bitch you better give me these titles because i am already they're going to buy them <laughs> they're like right behind me man you can come get them anytime here they are come pick them up baby <laughs> okay baby i will you know how i do mm, right. you know how i, I know do waiting for you mm. it's sitting there i'll leave them on the bed yeah baby <laughs> <laughs>